In the letter of First John, as we've been going through it, you know, there's a lot of good commentaries on it. Uh, I don't think, I think this is probably one of those books of the New Testament, as well as maybe even the Bible, that there are a lot of good commentaries on it. Years ago, uh, it seemed that there was a lot of pastors that uh, these commentaries were written to, and I think it's because the way that John addresses to, you know, his little children. Uh, but what not, it, it is a letter that is very intimate, very personable, and I think that as we read the Word of God, there's a lot of people that read the Word. You know, there's a lot of different uh, denominations, there's a lot of different religions, there's a lot of different people, young and old, and in between, working, non-working, uh, invalids, hospital, you, you name it. People of all the spectrums read the Word of God, you know, especially the Psalms and the Proverbs and, you know, the prophets and what have But, you know, for a Christian to uh, have certain sections of the Word that are directly written intimately to them, such as the epistles, I venture to say, such as 1 John. Uh, I don't know of any other inspired writings in in the New Testament um, that are so gripping to the Christian himself. There are a lot in here that uh, sometimes bother people. There's things in here that, that sting. There's things, there's admonishing in here, there's encouragement in here, there's, there's rebuking in here, but nonetheless, we are to read it in love. And I don't want to leave this book without stating that point. If we don't look at 1 John and glean from it uh, as it's meant to be written in love, I think that we've missed the whole thing. God's desire for our life is that we would be intimately involved, not only obviously with Him, but with each other. And I think that that's more more pronounced for me individually uh, in the last few months uh, than ever. Um, we've left fellowships before because of reason of moving or what have you, but this time it's different. Um, for uh, Dean and I, we, we studied this book until, until we couldn't read anymore. And Paul admonishes his love for the people that he is, God has placed under him. John has admonished his love under people that, that's been placed uh, beneath him. The Apostle Peter... Um, for a burly man, a man who was uh, a man's man, and, and as we see him in the epistles, you see how God changes a man, softens him, uh, you know, to where he loved those that were placed before him. Um, whereas before he might have been an indifferent, hard fisherman, that, that, that was the way it was. Now he's, he's put that aside, and, and now he's a, he's a catcher of men. And God has, has caused him to be a man of, of tenderness and of character, um, love for his love for the people. And I think that in correlation, the more we love the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we love our brethren. And it's evident in these epistles. We've been going through uh, 
quite a bit of it, talking about different things, and, and I know that, that there's some that are listening, that have listened to the past few uh, messages on these, and they keep saying, you know, why do you constantly talk about abiding in Christ? Why are you constantly talking about uh, doing righteously versus not doing righteously? What What is it in the Christian life that we are to do? You know, there's so many religions out there that, uh, and even in Christianity, that, that cause a doing, you know. Even the, uh, the new approach today of, of supposedly bringing in the, the or refashioning the uh, society and refashioning the church so that Jesus Christ can come back and so forth. What are we doing? How do we constantly be doing, be doing, be doing? Do you know that there's one thing that we are admonished as Christians to be doing? And that's to be abiding in Jesus Christ. By abiding in Christ, the works will come. By abiding in Christ, the old habits will drop away. By abiding in Christ, the love of Christ will flow free to the recipients of it. I want to read something to you in Ephesians. We all know it. Before I get it started on this study, but this this involves the the, uh, the pretense, if you will, of the Christian life, and it shows that although good works are the fruit of it, they are not the means of it. We all know this passage in Ephesians chapter two, but let me read it to you. Uh, with maybe a little bit of fresh ears. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 5. But he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So we're dead in sin. We've been raised to new life in Christ. By grace we have been saved. And in verse 6 he says, And he's raised us up together, and he's made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. So not only have we been saved by grace, we were dead in sin, alienated from the life of God. Now we're saved. We were saved by grace. Well, not only that saving by grace evolves the complete uh, forgiveness of sins, of new life, but it also affords us a position in Him. Now we can start to understand what Jesus said, that He is the vine and we are the branches. Now we, are, we have a position in Jesus Christ. And we are called and told to abide in that position, to make our home there, to make our purpose, our manner, our holy uh, form of our will and life to be resting and abiding in Christ as the branch abides in the vine. That's Christianity. And he said in verse 7, after he's, after he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places, he says an amazing thing in verse 7. He says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. In the ages to come, we are, we are going to be a display of the awesome power and forgiveness and love and kindness in Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to rightly put in the, pre, the, the, the tenses, if you will, of this, this life. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
Remember, we know what faith is because Paul says that faith is this entrance into this grace in which we now stand. So think of grace as a room. Think of this room being grace. The faith is the entry door of into this grace in which we now stand. We have faith in Christ who saved us by grace, by his kindness. But look at this, though. He says, not only verse 7, the ages to come, he's going to show this. But he says in verse 8, by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. We can't get very far in the book of Romans. Remember, we went through Romans chapter 5 on Monday, talking about the gift, the gift, the gift, the free gift, the receiving of it. But he says an amazing thing. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Look at verse 10. This is the the verse I wanted to to talk about real quick before we get back into 1 John. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God had prepared beforehand the fruit that would come out of a life that is abiding in Christ. So I can't even boast, we can't even boast of, of this, this life that we've lived. Because when we abide in Christ, it's, it's the, the life of Christ himself that produces the fruit in the life. It is absolutely supernatural life. It is absolutely a wonderful life. Jesus said something in, in, in Matthew 11 that puts this in perspective. He says, you know, you're weary and you're heavy laden. Come to me. Learn of me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We have a yoke that is placed upon our, our shoulders. But that yoke is, is tenderly cared for and guided and guarded by the by the, the master himself. We are so tenderly associated with the, this yoke that we see a pattern of it in the, in, uh, in the Old Testament times when they would plow a field. Remember we talked about this before? They would have the, the older ox and the younger ox. They would always have it that way. So when the younger one is not as strong or squirrely or whatever, you have the older one that constantly maintains But Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 perfectly illustrate what John is telling the disciples here about abiding in Christ. That is amazing to me. This Christian life that I live is a life of submission, obedience, and honesty. If I'm honest, I cannot live the Christian life. If I'm honest, I cannot do the things that bring the honor, the, the glory and honor to my Father. But the burden is easy because Jesus Christ says that if I abided in him, as the branch abides in the vine, I will bear much fruit. He is constantly the husband. He is constantly pruning. He is constantly tending. You know, that was one cry that he had against his people when he said, what more could I have done for you? And he told them about that, you know, that vineyard and, and the wall built around the fertile soil and all that, and they were constantly producing wild grapes. So what more could I have done for you? He's constantly meticulously involved in our life. Last week we stopped at, at that verse, verse 9 of chapter 3, that, that uh, 
that is so difficult for some people. You know, and we, we talked about the literal rendering of it. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot keep on practicing sin. Simply put, we said it's impossible to live a life in continual thraldom and sin and its lifestyle. You know, and I'll tell you what, I'll, this is an amazing statement because for people that are enthralled in, in sin and want to get out, there is a way out. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I heard of a man who years ago, we all heard of this thing, who uh, was a alcoholic and he, he tried for years and years to kick the habit. Finally he went to uh, whatever, AA, whatever it was, and finally got off for years, four or five years he'd been clean. And his, his uh, elderly, or I should say his eldest daughter fell sick and died. In a weak moment, he fell off the bandwagon, and uh, he's a drunk to this day. You know, for those that are enthralled in sin, that would love to get away from the habit of sin, there is no other greater message than to abide in Jesus Christ for the Christian. Because that is hope. That is the only cure for the thraldom of sin. You know, there was, there was a, a dialogue between two people, and, and one was, uh, just had succumbed to the fact that they're, uh, they were living under a, a leadership of, of a dictator, if you will. And, and as the story goes, the one guy broke away, and he says, I don't care about my life. I'm going to tell you this one thing. When are you going to get a belly full of this guy? When are you going to get a belly full of what's going on? Aren't you tired of being imprisoned? Aren't you tired of, of wanting to do what you can and you can't? Paul said the same thing in Romans 7. He goes, I, I direly want to do what is right. There's things I want to do, but I just can't do them. And the things I, that I don't want to do, that I continually do. Well, there's good hope, there's good news. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what, he, that's what we are asked to do. And all that John chapter 3, verses 9 and so forth, are they describing? They're describing one that is abiding in Christ. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an encouragement. It's an admonition to go on. Remember, at the end of John's life, he was the apostle of love. He went around admonishing the churches to love one another. And being built on the, on the love of God. You know, there's one thing that separates biblical Christianity from every other sect in the world, and that is love. That is love. We, we are, he admonishes in chapter 2 so many people to abide in Christ, abide in Christ, abide in Christ. You know, for, for a couple examples, chapter 2, verse 6, he who abides in him ought, ought, ought to walk as he walked. Then he launches about talking about the Antichrist. And the difference between the Antichrist of lawlessness. Then he says in chapter 2, verse 27, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. You do not need that anyone teach you 
But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. It's this abiding in Christ is that this, this Christian life is lived out. It's this abiding in Christ that true fruit is going to come from it. It's this abiding in Christ that, that the seed that might be planted will be something of, of, of value and fruition. You know, you never know what you do in other people's lives. And, and I believe that most of us will never know. Uh, it's like that great story of that missionary years and years ago that spent 40 years of his life in India. I think I've told this before. It's a true story. 40, and he thought those 40 years were defeated. He didn't see many converts at all. 40 years he spent over in India. And India has been a tumultuous uh, country for all of its history. He came back to the States. When he came back, nobody was there to greet him. Nobody was there to say thank you for your hard labor or whatever. And so he thought he died. He felt like he was a defeated man. Well, years after that, it has been a proven fact from people that have gone to India that that fertile ground that the Lord had him over there and he was laying came to fruition, started bearing fruit. Sometimes we won't get the quick applause or we won't get the immediate uh, things that we might see, but we're called to abide in him. And by that very abiding, the shackles of sin slowly are wearing off. Anger is one of them. Pride, we've talked about before. Look at verse 10, chapter 3. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. They're manifest. I simply have in my, my notes here for that verse, love. They're manifested. We have the children of Satan. We have the children of God. We have the children that are, that are not only led by a diabolical, lying, uh, hater of your soul, adversary to God himself, is constantly feeding the nature. Satan is constantly feeding the, the self-esteem, the love for self, the heart, the me, the me, the me, the me, the me. And then over here you have the, the child of God who, who is, has been born again, that he alludes to the, no greater this thing than this, that one would give his life for his friends. It's a diametrically opposed uh, position. When we get into chapter 4, we're going to see where love really manifests itself easily. And that's loving your brother. He who loves is of God. He who doesn't love God is not does not love God. Well, wait a minute. I can't, you know, I want to love, but I just don't have it in me. But now, as a Christian, the love of God is poured out within your heart. You are connected into the vine. Jesus Christ is love. In fact, John says in his epistle, God is love. We love God because he first loved us. It's love. I could be the most doctrinally... Uh, orientated human being on the face of this earth. But Paul says, if I have not love, I am nothing. The Christian life is love. And love hurts. So verse 10, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. 
For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Religion of Cain produces the works of the flesh. Okay, as we see in Galatians chapter 5. All false religion we've talked about before, all religion, I don't care what it is, will be traced back to Cain. All religion, and I say that by comparison, that comes to Christ through faith can be can be shown from Abel. Cain came of something of his own works, of something of his own understanding, of something of his own way, and it always produces bad fruit. Whoever does not practice righteousness not as God, nor nor does he that doesn't love his brother. Look at verse 11 again. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, again, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. Look at verse 13. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. Jesus said the same thing. You know, if they hated me, or, you know, if they hate you, you know they've hated me. Stephen in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 7, there were, <laughs> you know, that's a peculiar passage, because if you look at it, it's a great history lesson. And you think these people would, would have reacted to it by agreeing, saying, wow, that's great, you know? Because Stephen spent many, many uh, passages, many you know, telling them a great history lesson about what their fathers had done. But they gnashed their teeth at him, and they cast him out of the city, and they stoned him. And guess who was laying, who was a witness, who everybody laid their clothes at his feet when they were doing it? Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. You know, if we don't love one another, then we truly don't know Christ. And that's a statement that is not based upon me. It's based upon the Word of God. You know, I heard a, th a message not too long ago that uh, basically stated a, a gentleman who was thought he was high and mighty, and he, he left a city after a, a series of meetings. Many people have come to Christ. And he was sitting in a subway going to the airport to his plane, and he, and he noticed that beside him there was a smelly, person that was drunk and belching. And he said the first thing that came to his mind, he realized, he thought, you know, how disgusting. Away from me. And then as he got home, he heard a message from a friend of his uh, stating that you love Jesus only as much as you love the most degraded individual. And that stunned me. 
you know, because I tend to look at people in different areas, in different classes. If they don't agree with me, then that's fine. I could take somebody in my own congregation not agreeing with me. But if I want somebody on the street and they either don't disagree or they disagree with me or what have you, I tend to treat them in a different fashion. You know, I tend to look at them with, oh, you poor lost soul, you know, <laughs> you need to get it right or what have you. And the moral of that story was about this gentleman is he realized that you can preach the love of Jesus all you want to people that are upright, fit and proper, that'll be here every day and give you pats on the back or whatever. But when it comes to somebody who whose life is, is a little bit subpar than your own, then you really realize how much love that you have. The Apostle Paul was a changed man in the fact that he would, had no problem seeing Stephen stoned to death. And yet he was changed as somebody who was, was absolutely uh, enamored with the love of God. Do not marvel, brother, if the world hates you. Look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death into life. We know it. We know that we've passed from death into life. How do I know that I am in the right faith? How do I know? What is one of the evidences that I know that my Christianity is real? Just not on a printed page. I don't want to be a religionist. I watched my grandfather go through all kinds of religions that didn't change his life, that didn't do anything for him. Christianity, biblical Christianity, changes your life. You become a new creature. You become different. You're not hard anymore. You're not calloused anymore. You love people. In fact, you know what? Maybe for the first time in your life, you put the interest of somebody above your own. That was a new one for me. I was so full of myself. I look back and I go, wow, I was a rotten guy, even though I thought I was a good guy. We talked about that before. But when you're a biblical Christian, you walk with Christ, you tend to start putting people's interests above your own. That was a new one for me. And when I first got married and I was young, I thought, oh, wow, you know. Some of the most ridiculous things I thought my wife worried about, you know. That is a wrong attitude, folks. That's not the attitude of Jesus Christ. I want her interests to be above my own. Even if I don't understand them, if it bothers her, it bothers me. I want her interests to be above my own. Think about that one. So 14 says, we know that we passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Listen to what Jesus said again the first time in John 5, 24. I hope we all know this by heart. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. John says here, we know we pass from death into life because we love the brethren. I'm not going to come into judgment anymore. Because of the love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. I change that. For God so loved Jeff Graham that He gave His only begotten Son. That if Jeff Graham would believe in Him, He would have everlasting life. The two goes hand in hand. Pass from death and life because we love the brethren. Love is the proof 
Listen to what Jesus said in John 13. He said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another as I have loved you. Let me tell you something, folks. I'll suspend that right now. I'll tell you something. That in of yourself is impossible. Let's understand that right now. You cannot, in and of yourself, love somebody as Jesus Christ loved you. It is impossible. But it is possible if Christ is dwelling in you, and you in Him. If you are abiding in Christ as the branch abides in the vine, this is possible. I can truly love my brethren as Christ loved me, and I can give myself my brethren. What did Jesus say again? No greater love is that than this, that one lay down his life for his brethren. That's an amazing fact. I want the real deal, so do you. And abiding in Christ is, is the secret to a biblical, normal Christian life. Not abiding in your own interests, not abiding in, in, in what you think of God. I don't, want to, I don't want to have a philosophy about God. I want God himself. You know, in the beginning, you know, is not a philosophical argument for God. It is a flat statement about God. When we come to Christ, it's not a philosophical statement of how to be religious, how to be good, how to get to God. It is a factual statement on how to get to God. No one comes unto the Father but through me. And abiding in Him, Jesus talked more about abiding than any of the apostles put together. That's one of the germ seed truths, as I call them, that, that the epistles later expounded on. That's one truth that he pretty, did a pretty good job himself. Abide in me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you are my disciples, my words will abide in you, and so on and so forth. <laughs> he was saying emphatically that life is him. Life is him. Whoever hates his brother, look at verse 15, is a murderer. Jesus also ended that John 13 passage by saying, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, by the mere fact that you love one another. I don't understand doctrine. I don't understand all these things about the church. I don't understand these things. But I do understand one thing. These guys love each other. There's something different about that. And I believe that you know, that is the one major factor that caused the church to explode. And they saw these people, they had all things in common. They loved one another. I believe that, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, it was Jerry and Gail's son one time that made a statement to them that these, these guys in your small little church truly, truly care about their parents or his parents. It doesn't matter. They, they see the love that cannot be denied. So John, in verse 15, he says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. 
You know, you read Mark chapter 7, Jesus says, out of, out of the heart comes all kinds of things. Murder is one of them. We need a new heart. We need to change a life. We need to be born from above. We don't need religion. The world's full of religion. We need God himself. We need to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And this isn't old. This is, this is not old. And this is not new to a lot of us. Johnny was said, I'm not writing anything new to you. Peter says, I'm basically, I'm not writing anything new, but as long as I'm here, I'm going to stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. You know? Because there's going to come a time when these things are going to be challenged. And love is not going to be the hallmark of the Christian life. It's going to be doing and being. Look at verse 16. It says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That is following the master. That is imitating him. You know, uh, we've said it before, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you don't have to turn there, just 1, 11 chapter 1, uh, Paul says it's many places and in many different ways, but he says this, 1 Corinthians 1, 11, or excuse me, 11, 1, he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now this was a man who, who was persecuting the church. This was a man that told Timothy he was a blasphemer because former blasphemer because he was injurious. He did an assault to the grace of God and blasphemed the Lord Jesus Christ. So he was diametrically changed. Christ laid down his life. We lay down our life for each other. How do we do that? We do that by putting others' interests above our own. We do that by caring about what the spiritual growth and the, uh, well, we just care about people in general. We love them. We care about what happens to them. We put their interests above our own. Romans 16 in that wonderful uh, chapter of love, greeting of love that Paul has, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches. Their interest is in other people's growth. And the fact that they are, they are shown Christ, and they're shown the love of Christ. But whoever has this world's good, verse 17, and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? How does it? I'll go back, you know. I'll give it to you tomorrow. But what what are some of the needs of people that are around us? 
They have needs. People are hurting. People just need to be listened to. They need an ear to talk to. They need a leading post. They need somebody they can go to anytime they need them and not worry about, are we bothering them? Am I bothering you? Am I, am I, is this a bad time? I love it when Jesus, when he first uh, started his ministry, they said, what, you know, Rabbi, what, what are you saying? Well, <clears throat> oh, you know what? I'll, I'll meet you here tomorrow because I get things. So he said, no, come and see. He was constantly admonishing them. Come, 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 come away. He was, ne- he never turned them away. Even though he was grieved at the hardness of their heart, he loved them. Do you get put off by people calling you at, at, at times that maybe maybe uh, it was your your alone time, your me time? Does it bother you sometimes when people call you and and and, uh, and just want to lean upon you? When was the last time that you've had somebody come to you and and? and really have a need in their heart, and God might, you know, that's one thing about fellowship. You know, that's why we gather together, because you never know that God might use you to minister to somebody's needs. It's love. Try putting yourself second or third for a while, and you'd be amazed how much God wants to use you. I can't believe how much when over the years that I've set aside my selfish ambitions for whatever I might be doing, how much God has used me just to be there for somebody, to love somebody. Love is going to characterize more and more and more the true body of Christ as time goes on. Because the pastor or the shepherd of a flock is not after his own regime, he's after you. He's not going to be after your money. He's not going to be after your, your time. He's not going to be after anything you can give him, but he's after you because he loves you and wants, to, wants you to grow in Christ. And like Paul, he says, what is my joy, my crown? Is it not you at the appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? That's love. But then again, on the other shift of the point, those that are minus the love, you're going to see the agenda being lived. And all in the name of Christianity. And that's what Paul's, or excuse me, John is putting here. We see the 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 children of the devil and the children of God. The children of God are going to love one another. They're going to produce righteous works. They're going to do the things that Jesus Christ does because He is living His life through you. Whoever has this world's goods, verse seventeen. And sees his brother in need and shuts his heart. My little children, verse 18, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Love. Love produces. Love walks. They saw love walk among them for three years. Love walks. It doesn't It does talk, but when it talks, it heals. 
It ministers. The Bible says that a word fitly spoken is like apples in the settings of silver. The tongue is a, is a tree of life. It heals. But a lot of time, love knows when to talk, when not to talk, but it's always there. It's like that old additive. Hello? Are we loving in word and in tongue? Or are we truly loving in deed and in truth? Verse 19, And by this we will know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. It's a peculiar verse, isn't it? We shall assure our hearts before him. Listen, when you're walking in love, and interests of others are above your own, you know something about the life of Christ. You know something about what it means to minister to people's needs. And so when we come before the Lord Jesus Christ, our heart is assured before Him. Let me give you an example of this. It's in Philippians chapter 4. If you want to turn there, you don't have to, but Paul is writing Philippians, uh, and it's a wonderful uh, exhortation of joy, of walking the Christian life in love. We learn about the mind, about the you know thinking of the pure and lovely things. But I want to bring something to you. Remember, at the end of Philippians, he's talking about he went through all the churches of, of Macedonia, and no church. I mean, verse fifteen now at the end of verse fifteen, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. He says, even in Thessalonica, you did send aid once and again for my necessities. It says in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all on abound, and I am full, having received from Aphrodite as the thing sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And look what he says in verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. These people that have selfish, selflessly given to the Apostle Paul, and they did so out of love because for him and concern for him. That God would open the storehouse and supply all their needs and, and, their, and their, all, their, all their needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And the same thing with us, that, that love in, in deed and in truth, and we love with no pretenses attached. I don't love you because you have something for me. I love you because I love God. And He loves you. I love you fervently from the heart. Therefore my heart is assured before Him. Wow. He goes on to say in verse 24, Heart condemns us. God is greater than a heart and knows all things. Paul made an amazing statement. You want to talk about free? Check this out. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, for I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. You lead all judgment to him. 
You know, what's fair, what's not fair, what's right, what's not right concerning me. I have no rights. I am a bond servant of Jesus Christ. But there's one thing different. My, my, my master is good. My master is kind. My master is wonderful. My master knows exactly what I need. And more importantly, he knows exactly what I don't need. And he has promised to feed me from his hand. Do you understand? Do you realize that? God has promised to feed you and take care of your necessities from his hand, from himself. Sometimes he uses a job. Sometimes whatever he uses, he feeds you. He takes care of you. Jesus said, look at the lilies of the field. They're beautiful. But not even Solomon, I tell you, was raised like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field today and tomorrow it is gone, how much more you, O oh you of little faith? God will take care of everything. He will feed you from His own hand. We are to leave all judgment, all reasoning to Him. To serve Him with the whole heart. If our heart doesn't condemn us, verse 21, we have confidence before God. When you are born again from above, God has taken out, so to speak, according to the prophet Ezekiel, the heart of stone replaced with the heart of flesh. God has given us himself. God has caused us to be a born again creation, a new creation, capable of housing his love. God asks that I would give him all of my life. I want, to, I want to ask you, have you given him all of your life? We've been here with each other for five years now. I know some of you have. And a lot of times it'll be pride that people say, well, I've been in the Lord for 25 years. What do you mean I've not given my heart? You must be silly. But inwardly he knows, you know what? I don't really believe that I have. God does not judge the value of your Christian life on the time that you profess to know Him. God values and judges Christian life on the truth that you receive. And it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for 40 or 50 years. If you've come to the realization that, no, there's some areas in my life I just really haven't gotten to Him because I worry and I carry on as if there were no God in that area of my life, I am going to humble myself right now, even though I've been a Christian for 30 years. I want to humble myself And I want to give him all of my life. I want to have confidence towards God. Look at the explanation the apostle gives. Look at verse 22. And, whoever, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now I ask you, is that works? It's not works, it's a heart of obedience. Because I'm saved. You're saved. We are in Christ. But there's an area of Christ that we can we can enter into that is intimate. 
And part of that is looking for his coming, longing for his coming, doing those things that please him because we know that he is going to appear very soon. John says in answer to this over in chapter 5, verses 14 15, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That we have, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know if he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we ask of him. <clears throat> to be walking in his will. Forsake all others. You want to do those things that please him in his sight. What pleases him? Look at verse 23. This is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. To love one another. That's what he desires. That's what he wants. He says, if you can meet my commandments, you're truly my disciples indeed. Some of us are so busy with our life that we, we, you know, we want to hear about God and we give him a time or two of our life <coughs> as far as prayer, but we don't expend ourselves for one another. I have an example. If you don't know where to start, husbands, start with your wives. If you don't know where to start, start your family. And if you don't have a family, start with your church. Because he says in verse 22, he who keeps his commandments abides in him. And he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Paul says in Romans 8.16 that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And John is saying one of the witnesses that the Spirit bears with our witnesses is love. To love one another. You know, being born from above, Paul says we have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 6. So by, that by this fact, brethren, we should want to do those things that please him. We desire to bear much fruit so our Father is glorified, as Jesus says in John 15. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, like we said earlier today, it can by their only very by their very nature be only carried out by the one who abides in the risen Christ. That's what pleases the Father. That the image of Jesus Christ would be formed. Remember what Paul says in the end of, of Romans chapter eight. 
He says, we know all things work together for the good of those who love God. That's where we get our, our thing, that everything works for our good and His glory. To those who are called according to His purpose, whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. The more that we represent Jesus Christ in love, the more we bring glory to the Father. And the more we bring glory to the Father, the more joy and intimate fellowship we have with Jesus. You know, next week uh, we'll finish this, this book, hopefully. He's going to delve into an area that, that is one of my expertise, and we talked a little, little bit about it this morning. But he's going, to, he's going to go on the fact that, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits where they're from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Jesus said an amazing thing about false prophets that we talked about. They're, going to, they're false prophets, but they really are wolves in sheep's clothing. And they're going to come and they're going to undermine this, this whole life of love. <laughs> and it's amazing to me that he not only characterizes love in the third chapter about how God loves us, what love we have, he's bestowed upon us. He's going to talk about false teachers and false prophets and the spirit that produces them. And then in the end of chapter 4, he's going to go right back into the proof of a genuine Christian life. Do we know Christ because we're going to love the brethren? That's why it is so important to build relationships here. Eternal relationships. I was reminded the other day of a fallacy that my wife has told me for years not to do, and I did, and I hurt somebody very deeply. I've never forgotten that. First I asked for their forgiveness, and then the next thing is I asked for the Lord Jesus Christ's forgiveness. Because my, my understanding of true fellowship is that we would build eternal relationships. The relationships that we build with each other and love each other, no matter whether we agree with each other all the times. You know, we must agree on the, on the, on the essentials, but you know, even though we don't have agreements maybe on some things that we have a persuasion about, we love each other. And we're going we're gonna to live with each other for eternity. When I move, I might not see Cam for the rest of my natural life. But I will see him in eternity. You know, I might not see Barb and Liam for the rest of my natural life. I probably will. <laughs> Thank you. But I will be with them for all eternity. And I truly believe that the Bible speaks of the fact that we will know each other and we will love each other in, in heaven. The relationships we gain down here are, are going to carry on for eternity. Let's bear fruit and love one another and so that the Father may be glorified, so that we can explain with Paul, all of us, that you are my joy and my crown, as we gather together at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is true Christianity. That's the Bible. 
And I want to end with this. Thanks for bearing bearing with us. And I appreciate you, Mike, stirring up things, too. Mike's a stir. <laughs> I want to end this by just looking at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We should all know this by now. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been he doesn't say I am still being some future day I will be that's the wonderful plan of God no I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me Here's the double negative that makes a glorious positive. But the life which I now live in the flesh, wait a minute, I thought I was no longer lived. No, the one who is dead in sin, the one who's separated from the life of God, the one who it will not come into condemnation uh, for their sins. I was once apart from Christ, headed for judgment, under the wrath of God, Apart from the life of God, I couldn't even know Him. I didn't do one good thing, no, not one. I've been crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me now. And now that the life that I live in this flesh, I live by faith in Him, in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Schofield calls this, the Christian life is the outward living of the inward Christ, which I think is, is good. But there it is. There it is, folks. Authentic Christian life. I don't want to settle for any less. And I don't think you do either. I appreciate this day. I appreciate the opportunities uh, to look at the Word. And Father, I thank you for this epistle that demonstrates the love of God. And demonstrates how the true child of God has that love. That we are a recipient of the life of Christ. That we now have eternal life flowing within us. A life that will never end. We are the recipient of it and I thank you for that. And Lord, we look for you coming back. You return. And I pray that you would knit our hearts here. Not only the foundation of life, but, but the ones that we associate with and our brethren, that you would knit our hearts together in love. That all men might know that we are your disciples. Thank you, Father, for your, that inestimable gift in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Praise the resurrection to life. And those... Uh, in Adam will go to perdition and they will be resurrected but a resurrection to damnation you know like we see for example the false prophet and in, in, uh, in the Antichrist or, or in you know thrown in the lake of fire a thousand years after the millennium passes where Satan's thrown in the lake of fire the Bible says the false prophet and the Antichrist are still there in other words not consumed so there's going to be a resurrection but, but ours is glorious in Christ 
It is, it is diametrically opposed to the Bible itself to be in Christ and yet lead a life of um, even the slightest bit of debauchery. Are we going to sin? Yes. But, what, but that's the beauty of it. Schofield has a wonderful illustration of this, the best I've ever seen. And those of you who have read the Schofield Bible know this, and, and uh, it is just absolutely wonderful. It has clarified millions of understanding of this. He's describing a man who's been born again that as he goes to the Oriental bathhouse, and says he takes a bath, he's cleansed from all unrighteousness, and yet when he's walking back to the house, his feet will acquire defilement, and this washes feet. But he himself is clean from all that the law could say or accuse him. And it's beautiful, because that's what we are. And when we have defilement, we confess our sins to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's wise and just because he took the condemnation himself. He fulfilled every bit of the law for you and I. And he also took the condemnation and the judgment for the breaking of that law for you and I. So he's just. Listen to these words. If we confess our sins, our defilement, he is faithful and just, forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Wow. Keep on sinning. Wow. We can't because we've been born of God. Nor do you need to. You know? That's what separates biblical Christianity from all the other religions in the world. And I only say religion as far as Christianity is just by means of comparison. By no means does the Bible talk favorably about religion. Religion is always the outward show. We as baptism and one baptized in the body, we show the world what has already happened and taken place on the inside. That's the meaning of baptism. So when you go baptize in the river wherever you get, you show the world. When I was baptized in Corleone Bay in North Lake Tahoe, I was signifying to the world and to my parents Something has happened to me. I believe this gospel. I believe this word of God. My sins have been, I've been forgiven. That Jesus Christ is now my Lord. I'm not my Lord anymore. I walked to a different drumbeat, and that's to him. And I've never looked back. And I'm thankful I haven't. Because Paul says that, you know, you can run a race. And if you run it in such a way, there's a, there's a reward. There's a crown waiting for you. And I want that crown, and I want that reward. I want to see my Lord. I'm expecting to see him. I want to see him. I can't wait to see him. Because I know that when I see him, I will be with him forever. And I just want to end these verses, probably for my own sake. Because right now, folks, I think that is a time for comfort. I think that, you know, you can read these verses and you can look at sin so much you can tend to get, uh, feel like you've getting pummeled with things. And it's not the fact that we pummel because somebody's life might not be as righteous as mine. But we admonish these things so that we might see that the Lord desires that we have nothing in the way of Him. You know? We even say it in our wedding vows. You forsake all others, you know? I remember talking... You know, we did Jan and Joe's wedding. You know, you are you willing to forsake all others? Okay. What does that mean? 
Well, there's not too many. There's, there are people out there, but there, most people don't actually commit the physical adultery maybe on their wife, but they sure do in so many other ways. And if that's true in the physical realm of, of relationships down here, well, it's more, it's more uh, abundant with our Christian life. There are so many things. The devil and everything is clamoring for our attention. The flesh wears its ugly head when you don't think it will. The moment you think you've got everything under control, here it comes. Look out. The moment you think you've been having a pretty good day, man, and you've talked to a couple people about Christ, one might have given his life for Christ, and you're relishing in the, in the glow of it, watch out. You know, let's make up our mind now. So when it comes, you're dealing with it. I am my beloved's, and my beloved's mine. That's, that's my wife and I's verse out of uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 7. But listen to this. I'll leave you with the, with the first six verses of, of the discourse in John 14. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, or many rooms, or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. He's going and preparing a place for you, for me, individually. You know, as a corporate part of his body, he loves you. He's going to tailor this for you. I believe this with all my heart. Because my God's like that. He loves us individually. He's tailoring a place for you, exactly what you want. You know, people down here, they want to find the perfect house. And, you know, I mean, we've been selling our house for almost a year now. I know. I mean, for all kinds of things. Oh, you know, it's great, but we want this. Oh, it's great. He is tailoring something, I believe, with all my heart, that is going to just dazzle us for eternity. I can't wait to see that. He loves you. And, and we flirt with sin? In my Father's house, are, again, are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That's the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants you with him. And we're going we're gonna to forsake that in sin? We're going to forsake that and, and entertain uh, pride and, and, and everything else? Is it tough? Hey, did anybody say the Christian life was going to be easy? Paul says, I die daily. So he's going to go prepare this fantastic place. You know, I don't have to worry about, well, hey, you know, is it going to be something I want? It will be exactly what I was designed to love and to dwell in, because that's who God is. And if I go and prepare a place for you again, he says, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And you know, and where I, I go, you know, the way you know. Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where the way you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus takes it from the material to the spiritual. Life. Life is not this. Life is Him. We don't know where you're going to go. Leave us a map or something. You know, let us know. 
Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Wow. Lord, um, the Lord has shown me the last, well, when I really understood where we're going, and the time is short for, for us here, but I love you guys, and that's my heart. That's the heart of the Lord, and I, I, I would be you know, I used to tell my sons, if you don't tell somebody the truth, you're not really being a truthful friend to them. And there's so much more to this life than just what meets the eye. You know, they say that those that are suffer great loss, suffer problems in their life. I mean, uh, we've all had tragedy, death, uh, whatever. That those who, who, who stick to the Lord and allow Him to take them through them find an intimacy with Him that most people don't. But we also understand the Bible talks about those that give up their life, that give up what they, they don't need, and they grab what they cannot afford to lose. There's an intimacy and a joy there that the Bible talks about that few nowadays know about, few as far as the masses go. And that's what we want. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the word. And Lord, but I, I thank you for the Lord of the word. It so eloquently points to who you are and your character. Father, I pray that if there are those listening that have not surrendered everything, intellect, pride, um, whatever to you, that they would do it. Because it, nobody needs to be taught. It's the Spirit that teaches us to abide in Christ. I pray that would be their lot, because what is it worth if man gains a whole world and that, and that loses? What is a gain? If we have 20 more days left and we, we live it half-heartedly, I pray that we would... We would we would consider and accept nothing less than excellency. Nothing less than the Word of God operating in our life. Again, I thank you for this day, and I pray that you would go with us as we go and give us joy that our joy might be full. Father, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.